Cool. Good morning, everyone. It's really good to be together today. And this is yeah, such a special weekend um, for us and, and all different churches around the world, uh, around our region, um, to really focus on the core of our faith and, and what we believe is really the central event of the entire history of humanity and the world. Like, it's a big holy weekend to really focus on Jesus. And um, yeah, if, you, if you're new here at Rivers, we really welcome you. I'm glad we can join you. My name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're just, I'm just going to give a talk for about 20, 25 minutes or so around Good Friday and try to really arrive and center on Jesus and the cross and what he's done. And what we're doing at Rivers this year is focusing around the theme of Jesus as King. Uh, we started last week with Palm Sunday, and Freddie spoke about the coming of the King and us even offering our gifts and offering things that we have in the service of the King. Um, today, we're talking about the crowning of the King and on, on Sunday, the victory of the King. But it's interesting, kind of because of our context and kind of where we live and kind of the, the time that we live in, we kind of live in the Western world, um, kind of in a democracy. And as soon as you, we kind of start with this idea of Jesus being a king, we're already on the back foot. Like, it's kind of like, you know, when, when someone approaches you with an idea or something and you're already suspect or you're already not interested. Like someone comes to the door to knock on the door, like you're already not interested. Like you're on the back foot, you're suspicious. And that's kind of how we are, maybe without even realizing it, around the idea of someone being a king. Like, we're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's fine if it's, like, just on the money. That's fine if it's just a game. That's fine if it's just, like, yeah, they're just doing, like, a nice ceremony. They've got nice robes and clothes, and we watch their weddings, and that's, that's fine. But, but if someone starts to think that actually they're a real king, that they actually are the true ruler, and actually we're supposed to live in their kingdom under their authority... We still think, whoa, no, we're not going there. Like, like we're individualists. Like, we value democracy. Like, we're not interested in a kingdom. And kind of without realizing it, we kind of can almost be on the back foot when one of the, and, and in some ways, the main message of Christianity is that Jesus is king, that he's actually the Lord, that he's actually in charge of the world, and he calls us to come under his authority and live in his kingdom. But we're kind of, that, that almost may not sound like good news. Um, Mark says, says it this way. It's a little bit of a long quote, but I think it really articulates it well. He says, The gospel proclaims the good news is that Jesus is king. But the great problem is that we as good 21st century citizens of democracy don't like kings. The English chopped off the head of Charles I and established a republic under Oliver Cromwell. The French beheaded King Louis. It's not good if you're a king. <laughs> like, the Russian Kaiser Nicholas died in a hail of bullets while his young children were shot and kicked to death. It's pretty intense to prevent the royal line continuing. The United States fought a revolutionary war so as not to be under the dominion of King George. We don't like kings, and the history in like recent centuries is that a, a rejection of kings and that kind of authority. Having shot, beheaded, and sent our sovereigns packing, today we have a soft spot for royals, but only as memories of a forgotten world. We're like the royals who turn up to cut ribbons at hospital openings or have grand weddings. We tolerate them now that they have no control over us. We prefer democracy, yet God is still king. That actually Jesus comes as, a, as an actual ruler and lord with authority. 
and it's actually presented as good news, but we may not really think of it as good news. And I guess there's the first part, like the, the first question is, well, if Jesus is the king, it doesn't really matter how we feel about it. That's a reality that we have to deal with. But the reality is that it's meant to be good news. And why is it good news that Jesus is king? And I think it's because we think of kings and rulers and people in authority as using their power for themselves, using their power to control. Often people with that kind of power, like imagine if we were in a kingdom, the king can literally do whatever they want. We have to obey. We have, they, they can take your stuff. They have full authority. There's no voting. There's no elections. It's just the king. Like, like we know from experience that kind of power corrupts, leads to dictatorships. It goes bad. And we might even experience in our own lives, and even people in our own lives who have authority over us, bosses, um, even, even people in our society that are still people with authority, we kind of tend to not like them or don't like that idea. It's not seen as good. And often because it's, it's not. <laughs> the way it's done is not. But the thing, and the reason why it's good news that Jesus is king is because when he's come right from the start, he has not acted the way that we think a king would act throughout the whole story. Jesus' birth that we celebrate at Christmas is this humble birth that's kind of in obscurity. It's, it's kind of this, this humble stable. It's not this grand royal procession. It, it, people don't even know about his run and he's in hiding. Then he lives like his whole life mostly just in uh, working a humble trade as a carpenter. He's, he doesn't have a palace. He's just walking with everybody else in humility. And then when he comes and actually starts to talk about the kingdom, it's this really different thing that he talks about. It's not what we would think when someone talks about a kingdom. In fact, it's been described as an upside-down kingdom, that, that he talks about that this is good news for people who are poor, that when God rules, when God reigns, actually oppression and injustice is removed and people who are down the bottom get picked up and people who are oppressing others get brought down. And actually that this kingdom is ultimately a kingdom of love and generosity. And, we, and at Rivers, we've been learning about the Sermon on the Mount, which is almost like Jesus' core teaching around like what does his kingdom look like? And we said it can be summarized as, as love for God and love for others, treating others the way that you'd like to be treated. And Jesus goes and does this in this humble way. It's this upside down kind of kingdom. But at the same time, Jesus has authority and power. Like when he speaks, people recognize that, that this is not just a guy giving that his take. Like he's got authority. And he even does things that seem to give him divine authority, like heal people. And, and push back oppression and darkness and evil that's causing problems in people's lives. He has this, this divine, kingly authority, but the way he uses it is for the sake of others. And there's this like awesome good news that actually there's a good, there's a good king, and he's bringing this kingdom. And actually, if we think about it, that's probably actually the best way the world can work. If the person that's in charge is perfectly good, then it's going to be a good kingdom. But we see as the story goes on, and we come to Good Friday even, it seems like Jesus has announced this kingdom. He's lived and talked about what it's like when God is king. He's loved people. He's hung out with the people that no one else hangs out with. He's shown grace and mercy to the poor. But then it just all goes bad. It's just like, it just seems like that sounded so good. There was so much hope. But then it's just a tragedy. It's just destroyed. Jesus had these ideas, 
almost, it seems like, as like an idealist of the kingdom and this kingdom of love, but then the reality of the world catches up and the evil of the world takes over and he dies. And it's this, this idea that a king, if he's really the king, how did he end up on a cross? And there's this disconnect. It's like Jesus is king. He's talking about the kingdom. That's great. That's sort of part one. But then there's part two, the cross. And it's like, how does that work? How is, how is Jesus a king, the one who's in absolute power and authority? That's what he's claiming. But now he's been killed and mocked by other kings and rulers and these Roman soldiers. And, and the, the, it just looks ridiculous. And that's what we read in that passage is that what people were thinking when it happened, that these Roman soldiers have this king of the Jews. They've got him bound, and it's absurd that he's a king. So they mock him. It seems ridiculous that the king would go to a cross. And this is what we just read. It says the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him. And put a scarlet robe on him, twisted together a crown of thorns, and set it on his head. They're making a mockery of his claim to be king. They put a staff in his right hand. They knelt down in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They're looking at him and saying, this is some king. Like, he claimed to be king. Obviously, he's not, if he can't even stand up to them. They think this is absurd. This is ridiculous. They spit on him. They took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. And after they had mocked him, they took off the robe, put his own clothes on him, and they led him away to crucify him. It's like he was the kingdom. He was the great promise. He was the great ideas. And now the reality of the world kicks in. And it's a tragedy. There's the cross. And it seems like this disconnect. Or maybe, we, maybe it's not that. Maybe we know that actually here's the kingdom and that Jesus went to the cross for the forgiveness. But it still seems like a disconnect. Like he's proclaiming the kingdom, and now the cross is different. He comes just to, to, to wash us and forgive us of sins, which is true. But it seems like, how does that work as a king? Then they even made a further mockery, like we read, and actually put a sign above his head. And it had this written charge against him, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. And just, just picture that. There's a person on a cross, this is the king of the Jews. And it's that absurd. Like, no king is on a cross, unless a king that's defeated, that's really no king. That, whose promise and claims actually have been shown just to be idealism and unfulfilled. It seems ridiculous. It seems like there's a disconnect. But the truth is, there's not. There's no disconnect at all. This is how one, so the actual, in fact, the truth is that Jesus has come from the start in an upside down way, not doing what we would think kings would do. He's proclaimed a kingdom that's an upside down kingdom, which is not about authority and domination, but is about love and submission and, and sacrifice and generosity and justice. And we think that there's a disconnect between the cross, but actually the upside down kingdom has just continued and it's still going. And actually, what Jesus is doing in the cross is not a disconnect. He's actually doing what he's been doing right from the start, being the king of an upside-down kingdom, a different kind of king. This is how one 
guy puts it, the irony is thick on several levels. On one level, the people mocking him are being ironic in their words to him, mocking his identity. Yet on another level, the deeper irony is that what they say in jest is in fact true. Jesus is the king. And he's proving it, not by coming down from the cross, but precisely by staying on it. When they mock him, when they put a crown of thorns on him, when they hail him, they're saying what is true. It looks absurd, but he is the king. But he's a different kind of king. He's the kind of king who would go to the cross. He's the kind of king of the upside-down kingdom who gives himself. It looks like there's a disconnect that actually he was just an idealist, but actually what he's doing is fulfilling everything that he's been talking about. It looks like he was saying that I'm the king, and now he's not, but actually what he's doing is taking his kingdom and inaugurating it. It looks like he's being defeated, but this is actually the way that he's going to defeat his enemies and take his kingdom, but it's not like what we would expect because his kingdom is not like what we would expect. He's not the kind of king that we would expect. And there's, there's this other um, interaction with Jesus' followers because they didn't get it often as well. They, they, they're following this man who's the Christ, who's the Messiah, he's the Savior, he's the one who's going to rescue them and bring the kingdom. So they're looking for this glory. They're so excited that they're going to come and they're going to have victory over their enemies and they're going to be in power and they're going to be in authority and it's going to be awesome is what they're looking for. And there's this interaction where two of them come to Jesus, James and John, and they say, when that happens, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, would you do us a favor? Would you let us be at your right and your left? They're kind of getting in stinky and like they want, they want to have the first place before the others get in. And, and they're thinking about Jesus coming in his glory and his victory and he's going to defeat the Romans and he's going to come in power and they want to be right there next to him. It's like his left hand and right hand man. And Jesus questions them a bit and he says, well, basically, do you know what you're asking? Are you going to be able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink is the way he says it. And he's talking about his suffering. Are you going to be able to suffer? And they really still don't understand. They're like, yeah, yeah, sure, we'll be fine. Like, and Jesus says to them, actually, well, yes, you will. And, and those who follow him did, did suffer. But then Jesus says, but for those who are to sit at my right and my left is not for me to decide, but is for the ones given by my father. And then the, his followers, the other guys, recognize what's happening, that these guys are getting in sneaky to try and get the glory. And they come and they start kind of bickering and fighting because they want the power and they want the authority. And Jesus brings them together and just says, it's not like that at all. This is what Jesus says. He called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. He says, you know what kings are like. You know what rulers are like. You know their high officials exercise authority over them. You know what humans are like? They want to get power and they want to dominate and control and use it for their own benefit. That's just, Jesus would just look around and see this is what's happening everywhere. That's what is like in this world, but not in his kingdom. He says, not so with you. In Jesus' kingdom, whoever wants to become great, whoever wants that glory, among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first, that first place 
must be your slave. It's an upside-down kingdom where authority is used for love and generosity, not control and domination. He says, just as the Son of Man, the King of this kingdom, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, I'm not the kind of king that comes demanding service and sitting back. I'm the kind of king that comes to serve and ultimately give my life as a ransom for many. That he is being true to everything he said. This is just what it looks like when Jesus is being king. It looks like a crown of thorns. It looks like a robe. It looks like a staff. It looks like a cross. Tom Wright says it this way, what for Pilate and the soldiers was Jesus' crime, his claim to be Israel's king, was for Matthew the sober truth. And the crucifixion was the means by which his kingdom would be established. As he had said to James and John, there would come a time when he would indeed be enthroned with one person on his right and one person on his left. But the throne he had in mind was a cross. That's what he was talking about. They're thinking about coming in with glory and power on his right and left. But in actual fact, when Jesus comes into his kingdom, it's with criminals on his right and his left. Why? Because the kingdom Jesus had spoken on from the Sermon on the Mount onwards was never a kingdom to be established and maintained by military force. If it was to be God's kingdom, it would come about by God's means And the means that the true God chooses to use are the means of self-giving love. And that that's actually what we see on the cross. That Jesus is actually living out the kingdom by actually living out this life of generous self-giving love even for his enemies. So he lets them mock him. He lets them crown him with this mock crown even though he is becoming the king. He lets them put this sign up that makes a fun of him being the king of the Jews. But the truth is, that's the king of the Jews on the cross. That's the true ruler of the world on the cross, declared for the world. It's actually true. He lets them do that in love. And as he does that, he takes the sin and the evil and the darkness of the world on himself and he defeats it through the power of self-giving love. He offers his life as a sacrifice so that even those attacking him could be forgiven. That, that Jesus' kingdom where he's talked about loving enemies and, and turning the other cheek, he does it. He demonstrates it. He lives it out for us. And we look at the cross and one, one initial thought might be, this seems absurd, this doesn't seem like a king. But actually, that's what the true king looks like. That's what a king of love looks like, a king who would go to a cross, whose throne, who rules through the power of love. And in this world, love will end up looking like a cross. This is how Paul describes it in Philippians about Jesus being in the very nature of God. He had all the authority and power. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He did not hold on to his power for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, 
and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. In this kingdom, it's upside down. The person in the highest place, the highest authority, actually goes to the lowest place and actually takes on the sin and evil of the world that he does not even deserve for others. That's what this kingdom of love looks like. And now God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We celebrate today that Jesus is the King. He's the King who rules through love. And actually, as we respond today, the call is for us to recognize Him for who He is. He is a King. He is the Lord. And He calls us to live in His kingdom, the reality of His kingdom, His rule. And actually not in the way that we would think of kings, but actually to submit to his love, that he actually loves us and he rules through love. And his call is for us to surrender and stop resisting and receive his love that he's demonstrated on the cross, to trust him, to let go of the ways that we seek to protect ourselves, that we seek to dominate, us, dominate that we seek maybe authority and power for our own advantage, or we seek to use the things of the world just to satisfy us. He calls us to let go of that, Instead, live in his kingdom, trusting in his love, walking in his way. And today, maybe that's the first time to come and actually just surrender to Jesus in that way and, and talk to him and offer your life and ask him forgiveness. Or maybe it's just to come back and recognize that Jesus, actually, you are the king and you're worthy. I want to trust you and follow you. And as we do that, he calls us to walk in his kingdom. And the truth is that because of the way this world is, because there is still evil, there is still injustice, there is still sin, that if we walk the way of Jesus, he says that we will probably experience the cross as well. To walk in a life of love, where you love even those against you. You offer love even to those attacking you. You offer love and love and love, ultimately will end up with a cross, with suffering. That's just because of the way the world is. But he calls us to take up our cross and follow him in this kingdom of love. That actually that's what true life is like. That's what true love is like. So today there's an opportunity to come back to him and trust him and to pick up our cross and follow him and walk with him in love. So we're going to respond today and we're going to have communion. And to, we're doing it a little bit different. We've got actually some bread um, and, and some juice. And we celebrate Jesus' body broken. The king's body would be broken for us. And we celebrate his blood that was spilt for the forgiveness of our sins. And when you're ready, we'll, we'll come to the front. There's, there's some bread. I just invite you if, you, if you believe Jesus, if you trust him, if you love him, to take just a bit of bread to dip it in the juice and to eat it. Um, we, we normally have crackers, and if you would prefer crackers, there is some crackers on that side as well and a separate little juice for that um, as well. But I just encourage you, we have, we have a little bit of time. We've only got one song left, um, and we have just a little bit of time. And I think 
the tendency, I think, again, just partly it's our society and our culture, we kind of just rush. <laughs> we we kind of just like, okay, well, we got to get ready for Easter, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, what's next, next thing? Like, and it it's actually can be hard to stop and let it hit us. What, what the significance of this day that we remember, the significance of who Jesus is. So, so we have a bit of time, and I just invite you to, we're get, Toby's going to come and play some music. Um, just don't feel like you have to come and take communion straight away. And maybe just for, say, five minutes or so, we're just going to have open space, five, ten minutes. And this is an opportunity just to actually sit and think and picture Jesus, picture the cross. And just ask God to let it hit your heart. Let, let it maybe break your heart a bit in a, in a fresh way. Let his love cut us to our heart that we recognize who he is and what he's like and surrender to him. So, so I just invite you, if you don't, just maybe just spend a, a moment. And when you're ready, come forward um, and, and, and you can take um, the, the bread and the, the juice. So maybe if you want to play some music, and I might just pray and then, then we'll respond.